So this is a, a podcast that we are going to do semi-regularly, maybe weekly, uh, and we're probably will reflect on, among other things, the message, the passage in the message, the series, themes, maybe places we didn't have time to go in the message, or things that we discussed maybe as a teaching team or something that's just sort of, uh, you know, extra Sunday morning, whatever. Um, and then just trying to see where that goes. How does that intersect with the gospel? How does that intersect with culture? What are some of our takeaways, reflections, and then just wherever that goes. Uh, so does that sound good? Yeah. I just thought of a branding. It's uh, you know, we can go rogue. This is the things that you can't say in yeah. the message. So yeah. this is rogue, going rogue, rogue theology, going rogue. rogue contemplative. Yeah. I thoughts. like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we're in this, starting this series, just started the series, Elephants in the Living Room. Um, so what, why that series, what do you think, like, why is that something we need to talk about? Yeah, I, I researched the phrase, elephants in the room, or elephant in the room. It's a, uh, idiom, cultural idiom that people use to say, there's something that is probably obvious to many people, but we don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. We don't want to mention it. Um, this guy always shows up 30 minutes late to meetings. We don't, you know, nobody just says anything because it'd be awkward. What do you do? Um, you have family, you know, issues, family conversations that pop up every once in a while. People just ignore it. So the, to me, the challenge slash necessity of the series is, man, uh, some of the topics we're going to talk about, um, are, are heavier. They're heavier. You add the layer of, we're not just talking about elephant in any room. We're talking about the family, the living room. So you add family systems, you add family dynamics, um, and you have potential for compound conflict, uh, explosion. But, uh, to me, this is the necessary move of redemption that, you know, Jesus says everything will be laid bare. So part of moving towards future restoration could be let's start to cooperate with him and laying bare some things that um, need to be laid bare. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think that it's interesting. We, It's much more palatable to think about calling out an elephant in someone else's living room. You know, this is a lot of what social media is, right? Um but the thing about them, the reason we live with elephants in our living room is because we acquiesce to them. The guy who comes in 30 minutes late to every meeting, pretty soon we don't even notice, <laughs> true. right? We plan around it. Well, we can't really talk about that because so-and-so is not going to be here for another. And so we become sort of complicit. It becomes mm -hmm. almost a conspiracy around this thing that everybody knows, but then you then forget it. And especially in a family, when you live with it every day, mm -hmm you sort of forget it. And then somebody from the outside comes in and goes, what's the deal with that? And you're like, well, well, yeah, I guess that is sort of a deal. I didn't really think about it. And so for us, it's what are, what, am, what is, what am I complicit in, in terms of what am I keeping even from myself? What am I not admitting even to myself about my own family or my family of origin, uh, or something that is just, maybe I just feel like, it does no good to talk about that. So-and-so is never going to change yeah, or futile. whatever. Why, why bring that up? Why, right. Why bring it up? And, 
And so we then, instead of sort of acknowledging it and living with it, which might be a healthy way, we don't acknowledge it and we live with it. And then we become part of it in a way, right? We maintain, we feed the elephant. We feed the elephant and, um, I like that. We get used to it. So then we, we used to tiptoe around the elephant. Now we just all figure out how to walk pretty confidently around it. So it becomes part of the system itself, uh, which I, I, and I think what your, your comment, you know, point about someone coming from the outside is almost always the necessary conversation. I'm in the thing I'm, you know, uh, it's, it's in front of my nose. I can't see it that clearly. I really can't. It's your blind spot, but most other people walking in, you know, with half a sense of intuition can see what's going on and pick up on it. Sure. I think, you know, there's all these reasons to ignore the elephant. We rationalize. There's all of these motives like, oh, if I did that, then this, then that every, and then we usually go worst case scenario, which is my personality anyways, but I think we can tend to get there quick. We have an elaborate explanation of why it makes no sense to front the elephant. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid if I do this, then there'll be no more family dinners there. They won't invite us for holidays. Da, 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 da. If I share this or confront that, then they'll cut me off or anything, mm-hmm. anything. Um, they'll attack me. Right. All these reasons and some of them valid, but all of these reasons that we never yeah. start to acknowledge. Yeah. I remember coming back from college and thinking, this, cra- this place is crazy, mm-hmm. but it was no different. I mean, as I thought about it, I'm like, it's exactly the same house I left. I just got out of it and there was no longer used to it. I came back and it's like, whoa, you know, what's going on here? And it's the same stuff that was going on. I had just sort of put my head down and acquiesced to it, which is what we do. Right. And we just live with it. Um, you know, my, in, in my family growing up, so my dad was a doctor we lived in a big house, a big family. Uh, probably from the outside, we looked like a prosperous, you know, prosperous equals happy family. Uh, but really, my dad was a, as an alcoholic and a substance abuser. He was pretty functional. He still operated as a doctor and, you know, somehow managed that as some people do. So it was easy to sort of uh, it was easier to sort of deny it or ignore it since he went to work and from the outside lived a, a life that looked normal. Uh, and that's often how elephants live is because it's not a crisis situation. It's something that is, we can live with it because from the outside it looks you don't notice it for, you know, until you kind of come in closer, like from the distance. And I think, you know, social media often in our age operates as some sort of front that this is the part of my family. I want everyone to see and just look at this. Uh, and lots of people don't have real close friends and don't have family that they're real close with. And so you can live with an elephant forever. But I think that's really good because I think it, if we're really good at managing, um, which is what I hear you saying, like if the elephant has been managed, then it's easier to not acknowledge it. And a lot of people and I, myself, we work really hard at managing. So we project an image we want people to see. 
we interact with people a certain way. We want them to see our best side. We put social media best foot forward. And nobody's posting about the, the marital fight that they had right. or the tension with their right. kids. Nobody's posting. Right. And unless if they are, it's usually some kind of questionable, like, oh, I don't know if that, yeah. you're doing Maybe that in the best helpful. way. Right. Um, but I think, yeah. uh, you know, for me, it's funny because we just didn't communicate a lot as a family. And, li and like you're pointing out, sometimes it takes distance. And sometimes it takes time. Like you're, maybe you're not quite aware of it until you get a little older and you get outside the system and then you go back into the system and you say, oh, I, ooh, oh, this has always been this way, right. but I'm seeing it a little more clearly. Right. And so we, you know, I grew up in a family that we just didn't communicate too well. Um, and so things would happen. We didn't always talk about it. Um, plans would happen. And then, uh, you know, you'd find out later. Oh, this is what's this is what's going on. So, you know, me and my older brother, we we joke about it now. We talk about it once a week on the phone, and we're like, we keep each other in the loop because nobody else really does. Mm -hmm. uh, so, hey, you know this thing where we just don't talk about stuff as a family. This is kind of a smaller elephant, but it's an elephant. We don't talk about things. Mm -hmm. Probably hiding a bigger elephant. Right. Right. Um, so we have to keep each other informed. Like, yeah. what's going on? I don't know. Did you hear that? Did you hear, you know, yeah. so-and-so's moving or yeah. an uncle died or right. literally it's, it's yeah. all these things that happen in family systems, but we have to keep each other yeah. in the loop. So, yeah, I think, and I think same thing when you, I think when you have elephants and I think probably most family systems have something of some, maybe it's not an elephant, but it's a, decently sized horse or something <laughs> it's it's something that you don't talk about you sort of train yourself as to it's normal not to talk about it and i you know we didn't talk there's a ton of stuff when you grow up with an alcoholic substance abuser there's a ton of stuff you just don't talk about and it's a conspiracy among all the you know unstated unspoken it's with yourself and with your siblings you don't agree not to talk about it you don't get together and say hey let's not talk about this you just don't talk about it yeah and so then you train yourself. So I, there's a lot of things is as a, as the head of a home, I didn't talk about some stuff just because I was sort of trained not to, not because it was necessarily shameful or not. It's just, and I read going to a lot of family reunions and we probably, uh, it was probably 20 years before we really all got together and began to process as siblings. Hey, you remember that? And because it took that long before I think we all sort of got together and then talked about the elephants that we all grew up with. They were like, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. That's crazy. <laughs> and there's things that I had forgotten about that, you know, I lived with. And it's the power of denial. It's the power of just trying to manage things. You know, it, crazy things happen in my in my home. Uh, growing up that I knew at some level weren't normal at some level. I knew that this doesn't happen everywhere. Yeah. You don't see this on TV. Other families don't, you know, I think at some level I knew that, but it's just, you just sort of live with it and then you're trained in it. And so that's why I think they've sort of perpetuated. If you grew up with elephants, you probably have some, a smaller version perhaps or a different version because you've trained yourself right to live with them in your home. You've domesticated it to some degree. And, and you had to, 
You had to. You it was a coping to. strategy. That's you, right. You had to get this strategy to deal with the, the questions and the elephants that the generations before you just, just couldn't or they didn't. So no no fault there or whatever, or maybe fault, but not, you know, you're not overdoing it. It's just how it is. So you got this strategy and everyone goes on autopilot. So you go on autopilot um, for a while until by some grace that it doesn't work anymore. Right. You're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, right. whatever. It doesn't. These survival strategies, um, they start to hurt you. Mm -hmm. You start to wake up to it. Yeah. You start to, you know, um, stop sleeping, so to speak. And to me, if you have the, the courage and the faith to say, oh, this, this could be my next move into growth, it's going to be very painful, but it could be some of the best ways that mm -hmm. you really grow into who God's made you to be experiencing the depths of your own heart yeah. and whatever he's designed you to do. Yeah. Um, it's hard, yeah. but those strategies actually will, they, they were survival strategies and then they'll become sabotage strategies. Yeah. They'll right. They self-perpetuate. Yeah. And I think hopefully the series is an opportunity for God's word and God's spirit to sort of begin to ask each of us the question. So what are, what am I living with? Right. What is an elephant in my living room? Um, you know, I don't want to talk too intimately about my own family, but you know, we were at, a, I think it was last uh, Christmas dinner and my, and all my kids are adults now. Uh, and, uh, you know, our daughter, Emily said, um, cause we were talking about something, which we, we always get into these discussions about issues or things, you know, we just, you know, movies or whatever. Uh, and we always have an answer, right? Yeah. This is, that's just our Sherman family characteristic. Sure. Like, uh, and she says, well, nobody ever says, I don't know in this family. <laughs> and I kind of went, well, I don't know about that. I love her already. <laughs> yes. And I think, well, hmm. Yeah, yeah I guess that's true. Yeah. I guess that's because I do think when you bring a fiance that becomes, mm. you know, son-in-law to daughter-in-law <laughs> at the first, you know, they're like, they're just kind of looking around like, what is are we just going to talk about this movie for another half an hour and what it all means? This is weird, <laughs> Yeah. but it's not weird. Yeah. I mean, it's not weird, but it's weird. weird. And that's a small example. It's not necessarily an elephant, but there's things that you live with and do that sort of become normal to you that you then, uh, becomes part of, you know, you don't question it. Like, you know, you don't question it. Yeah. I guess I don't say, I don't know probably enough. Sure. Right. Uh, but that's a very small example all the way to, you know, when I was growing up, there was great, like, you know, there'd be, you know, there'd be violent arguments, you know, and we would just be, it would kind of be the thing It come down and there'd be some furniture strewn around a couple times. There was a bullet hole, hmm. you know, wow. that's, that's <laughs> yeah. an elephant. <laughs> yeah. And we just went to school. Yeah. Yeah. It's just. I mean, that's not every night, but it does happen. You know, so you get occasional, this is news you get, for me. You this get occasional accidental <laughs> firearm discharge in your home. Don't you? So I love it that you yeah. just kind of roll on with like, yeah, every once in a while, bullet hole went to school and I, this is news for yeah. me because this isn't outlined in the script. <laughs> I, I love it. I yeah. think that's, uh, but I think it's, I mean, it was, a. it was, it, it, it wasn't normal in a sense that it happened all the time, but it wasn't out. It was part of the elephant. Yeah that you didn't see very often. That was just, there's nothing to be done. You just ignore it. And that's kind of when you meet you, you have to, you like have in to. some cases you have to, you have to, 
Yeah. But what else are you going to do? Call the police? Right. And, and, and right now, uh, as much as I don't want to see it or admit it, my kids are doing something. That they have to do. That they have to because do. Because we're broken. Yeah. And we sin against them. We don't want right. to, but we do. Yes. And they need to get the survival strategy of, okay, to deal with dad's, you know, temper or to deal with dad's whatever, like control, uh, micromanage. I've got to, I've got to do, I've got to do it like this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and so you, I, I love your illustration too, with the, uh, your daughter at a, at a different age, mm -hmm. being out of the system, right. coming back. Right. Those are good invitations though. Yeah, absolutely. They love you. You trust right. them. They're joking, but there's truth. Right. In it. I mean, like, she's wrong in this case, but <laughs> clearly, <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, people in our lives, and I don't know if this is a, you know, segue to reflect any on the, the passage, but it, people, it's usually people outside or inside that have gone outside that, uh, may say something to us. And let me differentiate real quick. Uh, there's such a thing as hurt and there's such a thing as harm. And hurts not bad, right? It, for someone to tell me something about me that loves me and that they mm -hmm. have my best, it's going to hurt because it's going to shatter my insecurity. You know, mm -hmm. oh, I thought I had this secret managed or this elephant right. managed. I don't want to think of myself in that way. Yeah, absolutely. So it hurts to have to think of myself in that way. Yeah, which is probably a good indicator of I've been strategizing right. in the wrong way. Right. Um, and then there's harm. And, uh, the Bible doesn't really ever give us a uh, license for harm. Like I'm mad when yeah. you hurt me. Right. So now I can get vengeance by. Right. And the, it, the problem with that is you can harm somebody and be right. That's true. You can, you can, be, it can be true. You can correctly call out their sin, but you're doing it in a way to harm them. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. The truth that tr you have to learn how is that that passage in Ephesians speak the truth. It doesn't stop there. Right. It's in love. And if, if you check your heart and it's not loving, you should, you should restrain. You just, right. you couldn't, you, unless you yeah. can get to a place. What we do though with that is we equate loving somebody with speaking whatever oh, truth good. I want to about it. Right. Yeah. I'm not loving you unless I tell you every ugly thing that comes to my mind about <laughs> yeah, you. Which is just an excuse for me to be. Right. That's not love. That's <laughs> not love. Yeah. 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 So. All of that leads us to the passage, I think. And we have this giant elephant, which. Everyone had to know. Yeah. I mean, everyone in the palace, Joab, everyone has to know. Well, David must have, you know, must have taken Bathsheba before Uriah was dead. Gee, I don't wonder how what, what happened with Uriah. Everyone sort of knows, right. but nobody's gonna obviously say anything to so you tell yourself a happier story, perhaps. Mm. That everything was fine, Uriah just happened to die. And Bathsheba, oh, she's now his wife, and that's all good. Yeah. You have to get to sleep at night, so you, you have, have to, get, to start right. to rationalize right. things. Right, so which is what we do. That brings me to, that makes me think of the interplay, and we probably don't have time, but it, it just made me think of the interplay between the, the relationship between elephants, secrets, and power. Mm -hmm. um, David's king. He can have you executed. He right. can do anything he wants under the authority of his kingship and of God. So what role did power play with people? Well, it's a powerful incentive to keep a secret. Absolutely. And it, yeah, that as growing up in a kid, your parents are powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's a powerful incentive to, 
I don't want to risk retaliation, mm -hmm. so I'm just going to stay quiet. And it might be the it might be the proper coping technique as a child in a family where maybe you are powerless. But I do feel like there is a sense of if I'm willing to harm you, there's a certain power in mm -hmm. that. Okay, well you're just going to not say it then, and we can I can keep you from saying it by threatening harm, mm -hmm. or whatever that looks like for you. And I'm sure, you know, David's the king. So, you know, Nathan, there's a big risk for Nathan. Mm -hmm. Obviously he's doing God's work, but he doesn't know mm -hmm. how David, you know, he doesn't know what the response is going to be. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, it seems that he does it. Um, I'm not sure I'd have to look closer. But does he do it one-on-one? -on -one? Does he do it publicly? And there's, there's great risk anyways with Nathan. Um, and, and I think to caveat, we don't have Christians, New Testament, this side of the cross, we don't have the quote-unquote prophetic office. Right. That, yeah, that Nathan is not help. speaking his own words. He's speaking God's words. Yeah. So which we is, need to be careful yeah. to not confuse. Right. And, and, and then yet there's still the spirit of loving uh, conversation, loving confrontation, accountability, that type of thing. Um, but it's a risk. It's always a risk. Yeah. It's going to cost. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So do you think it was one? Oh, that's a good question. I never really thought about that. It's second Samuel, uh, 12 at that point. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know that he, if he's one-on-one -on -one or not, I kind of envisioned it always as public, but mm -hmm. I don't really know. Obviously because David owns it, you know, that, you know, right away it becomes public. Um, and it does, it doesn't say. Does yeah, it, it actually briefly? doesn't as, as quick as I can scan. It yeah. doesn't say, um, Nathan goes to him actually says the Lord sent Nathan yeah. to David. Yeah. So it's grace to David, but yeah. the, the scholars think this was a year about yeah. nine months to a year, maybe more from when, had Uriah killed to when Nathan actually mm -hmm. Well, the child is, he may be born at this point sure. or about to be born yeah. at this point because yeah, yeah. the child becomes afflicted. So it's been at least that long. At least that long. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, what is, what is David telling himself as the man after God's own heart? Like what, what secrets is he keeping from his own heart? Mm -hmm. Uh, it doesn't say we do have some of his reflections in the Psalms that, you know, during this time, you know, his, his, his body was wasting away. He was, he was in a bad place. So what did he do at that bad place? And what did he blame it on? And what, you know, that sort of, we don't really totally know, but just easy to say for, you know, okay, I'm a king. This is what Kings do. You know, Kings can do this sort of thing. I can send a riot to the front and if he dies, he dies. I can take his, his wife as mine. This is what Kings get to do because they're Kings. And yet, of course, what, what he did greatly displeased the Lord is what it is, what it says. And so whatever story he's telling other Kings do that, you know, whatever he's saying to himself, there's a dissonance there of the story I'm telling myself and how I'm living and feeling about it. I know, I know I'm lying to myself, but I can't, I'm not, I can't consciously confront it. Right. He needs Nathan to come in. Well, and that's, you know, to me, that's the most, um, I guess, like bring it to home for me, for anyone listening is this isn't necessarily about, can I spot 
other people's secrets? Can I tell the truth to my family? There's not, it's not none of that. Um, that's certainly there, but this is for me, can I reflect on what narratives have I been telling myself? Like, have I been hiding something from me? Mm -hmm. And then if I, let's just assume we have, you know, if we, if we are in our tradition, we talk about a theological point of view, that's total depravity, yeah. that we're fallen or separated and uh, that our hearts are deceitful. Every part of our life, every our part mind, of our, our heart, yeah. Right. All creation right. is infected. Right. Uh, assuming that that's uh, our viewpoint, then we probably are probably on safe ground to say, well, in some way, I'm I'm complicit in the conspiracy yeah. against me, right. against others. So the question is, how can I begin to self-reflect, pray, uh, ask others, take the initiative? Don't wait for the mm -hmm. da 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 person. Mm -hmm. How? Hey, what do you see? Yeah. In my life? Yeah, I think that's key because I think I need to make the secrets about myself first. And I probably never finish that task before I'm concerned with other people's secrets. Um, you know, growing up in high school, like we never had people over to our house. Again, it's one of those things that was sort of an unspoken rule that it's yeah. because it wasn't safe, you didn't really know it was going to happen. Uh, I mean, my dad wasn't around a ton, but stepmom was not, was not the happiest person in the world. It just wasn't a safe environment. And so, um, but some, like somebody in, in high school said, I, I just thought, I just thought you were unfriendly because you never <laughs> invited anybody over. Right. Yeah. So people are deciding about you yeah, sure. when they don't know the whole picture. My house actually was a little unfriendly people. Like, I don't know if you wanted to. Right. Right. Uh, a little bit. Anyway. Um, so I think it's, you don't really know the other person's story probably as much as you think you do. Yeah. Um, and so, cause you, you know, you don't even maybe know your own story as much mm. as you think you do. Mm -hmm. So you need to start there first. Uh, and what, what secrets am I keeping from myself? What, you know, what things am I saying to myself that sort of protect me or protected me from some reality I don't want to look at or makes it easier to think about or makes me feel better about myself, whatever that might be. Right. Uh, and as, as you said, I have to make it safe for myself to admit I'm not a perfect father. I'm not a perfect husband. I don't mean that even just in a theoretical way, but in an actual practical way. So then therefore, if I really embrace that, I can admit some imperfections like that actual imperfection. Like maybe I don't say, I don't know enough. And so unless I make it safe for myself to say, you know, my identity is in Christ, uh, I am fallen in, in the process of being redeemed. His grace covers these things. Now I can sort of actually create a space where I can get them out and look at them. And if I don't believe that in my bones, then I got to hold them. It's yeah. too hard to get them out and look at them. Right. Yeah. And, and this may sound uh, abrasive, but if that's true, then we really haven't ingested the gospel that's very right. well. That's if, right. if I can't be comfortable or, or at least a bit okay with saying and believing, oh no, I'm far from perfect. I'm broken. I'm selfish. I can be mean, whatever that is. Um, then I haven't really taken in the gospel. Yeah. Then I'm going to continue to right. need to project right. something that isn't true about right. me, yeah. which will be harmful. But I, yeah, I think that's, yeah. that's where the gospel makes it safe for us. Yeah. Jesus already knows all this. 
He's already accepted us uh, and he's constantly inviting us to those places of courage because it is safe mm-hmm. to admit. Yeah. It's safe to own. It's safe to confess. And safe meaning I don't get to control the outcome. It may hurt. <laughs> it's going to be risky. Uh, but safe as yeah. in, yeah, but I'm accepted. It doesn't question my, it doesn't question my identity yeah. or God's acceptance of me because none of that is conditioned on anything I do. And I think that this probably will be a theme as we talk is I, I think we, and people will say, well, I believe the gospel. I mean, you know, why are you saying I don't believe the gospel? Just like, why am you saying I never say I don't know? <laughs> Cause it's our podcast. We say what we right. want. <laughs> That's right. That's why. Um, but we can believe the gospel. I can understand the theology of the gospel, but I'm always learning how to apply it to my own heart. I'm never fully apply it to my own heart. Like I, that's probably what partly what spiritual growth is, is I, I expose a little bit more of my brokenness. Okay. Now I can work on that in the light of the God's grace and light of the gospel. And until I'm ready to do that, I have to keep it covered up because mm-hmm. it's not safe. And you know, I'm, then I'm a bad person or I'm a failed Christian or whatever, whatever we say to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think our culture conspires with us, especially our American culture, because we have to look put together all the time. It's like we said, social media, I have to present an image to other people that I am mature as a Christian, that I am a, you know, uh, successful and that I am respectable and that I am admirable mm-hmm. and that I'm whatever, like, cause I want to think of myself. I want to think of you thinking, I want to think of you thinking of me that way. Mm-hmm. And I need actually to think of you thinking of me that way. Yeah. So I'm going to present this thing out here. And so, yeah, they probably think I'm pretty good. I mean, I don't want to dwell on it cause I'm like, you know, I'm supposed to be modest, <laughs> but I'm proud that I'm humble. I'm proud that I'm humble. Uh, and it's not, it's actually the opposite of pride. It's like fear and shame manifested in a way of, I'm only going to, I'm going to project something on you that is a good thing. That So you, you have to think good of me. Yeah. Because that's another part of, I haven't ingested the gospel. If it's okay, if he knows. Right. It's okay if he knows that I'm not perfect in an actual sort of way. That makes me think, you know, just some thoughts and questions of what, so what are we so afraid of, um, that we have to, um, project this image and present ourselves as people who don't have elephants. Cause the reality is we all have them in the living. Like, what are we so afraid of? And, uh, how do we, why are we so complicit with the culture? Mm-hmm. Like, why do they need to be achieving and successful? Why do we, why am I as a parent? Um, anxious about my kids not having elephants or my kids making the team or the grades or the whatever. And maybe that's a little off track, but it still, it's along the lines of this image that we got to maintain it. And if I say there's this in my family or in my life or my story, then that's going to shatter the image. And and, and to me, again, um, it's, it's maybe a severe mercy, but it's mercy Mm -hmm. less if that, if that happens. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's where the gospel and the culture, our culture, you know, run into each other in, in a way that our culture encourages us to project an image of us having it all together. And unless we're really 
you know, inflicting the gospel on that and, and, and doing something on a continuous basis, taking every thought captive, as Paul says, we are going to be swept along in that because everyone else is doing it. And it's what we're going to do, what seems normal to us, because uh, that's just how culture works. Um, and I think that's like, what is it about me that, um, oh, that's a great family picture at a, at a nice vacation place in another family. <laughs> Why does that say something about me? I mean, it doesn't really need to say anything about me, but if I'm insecure about who I really am, then, oh, I need to match that. I need to do something so that people think of me well. Um, and it's just, it's just our own insecurity and our own fear and our own lack of comfort and, you know, uh, and who we are. And we talk about people being comfortable in their own skin and what that really requires is I'm okay with you knowing I'm imperfect and actually have sins and actually have failings and not just, you know, a couple of pet ones that I'm comfortable, you know, to keep you away from the real ones, but some of the real ones. Uh, and that's part of, you know, love one another, honor one another, bear with one another, confess your sins to one another, all these one another things, um, that our culture will keep us from. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm reminded, I think, you know, when Terry set the series up last week, one of his kind of key themes was we think this thing in the room is Satan's tool against us. And it could be, we could be allowing that to happen, but, but really it's kind of the Joseph story, Genesis 50, what is meant for evil, God can use for good. Right. And so we, we fear this thing because we think, oh, this is bad. And if I let anybody in there, or if I start to acknowledge it, uh, then that's actually going to destroy something. Uh, but in the long run, this is uh, Augustine's commentary on Romans 8, 28. God works all things for good, even our sins. And he's that good. And he's that powerful to take even our own self-inflicted um, sinfulness and pivot on it and use it for good. To redeem it. And redeem it. So there's, there's redemptive potential all around us just waiting to be tapped into, mm -hmm. especially with some of these very potent things, these elephants in the living room. Yeah, I think that that's, I mean, it's probably a theme we'll come back to uh, in future uh, discussions is I, I think we don't really understand redemption. Um, I think we think redemption is making, making, um, making something bad good mm -hmm. as if it was never bad. Yeah. And it's really not. It's the process of taking this brokenness and falling it and bringing some good things out of it. It's still a broken, fallen thing. Um, because I do think our secrets were covering something up that's probably shameful, right? That's my, my, I'm complicit in some way in this sin and I don't, I don't, I don't want to look at it. So I want to cover it up and the secret then gets in the way of redemption. Like I can't really do the redemptive process unless I can call the bad thing bad. Yeah. Right. And that's partly in my own heart. If I can call out some things that are really true in the broken places, it's the first step in, in a redemptive process. And if I have to not have those, they'll never be redeemed. I'll just be sort of living a false life. Yeah. And it really won't because Jesus is a gentleman 
and he's not going to come into places of our life where we don't invite him. He won't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, grace respects nature, and, and, and John 14 says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So the spirit of truth doesn't doesn't have a home in denial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he really doesn't. Right. And so we we become conspirators against redemptive moves. Yeah. When we continue to live in ignorance or denial or sweep it under the rug or whatever our strategies right. that we're all up to. I think that's what John's saying when he says walk in the light. Yeah. It's not some I think in our achieving culture we take walk in the light meaning walk without sin. Mm-hmm. But really it means walk in the light. Walk so that everything is exposed so that you're honest about what's really going on so that redemption can take place. Not, you know, the the opposite of, of light is darkness. And we tell darkness is sin. Light is not sin. No light is just the lights on. You can see everything. There's no dark side. There's no, right. Lights are everywhere. Right. And so I'm inviting then Jesus. I can invite Jesus into the redemptive place because here it is. I mean, once Nathan calls out the thing, then something must be done. Mm-hmm. I'm either going to close it down, throw Nathan in prison and whatever, or I'm going to, okay, that's actually true. I have something needs to be done about it. Yeah. Uh, and redemption in this story doesn't mean, and then everything was wonderful. <laughs> the baby dies. Your eyes dead yep. already. The baby dies and a lot of trouble happens in David's life going forward, you know, that all tie back to some of this original flaw and defect that he has in his, in his life. So it's not without redemption doesn't mean you get away with it scot-free. It means even the consequences then are redeemed in such a way that when calamity does fall, David goes, yeah, yep. God said this was coming. I'm not blaming God. You know, this is something that I, my sin caused a lot of this and I have to own it. Yeah. He takes agency. Right. Responsibility. Right. I'm not some helpless. Why is all this bad thing? Which is what we tend to do yeah. when the answer is somebody from the outside. Well, I can give you five reasons why <laughs> I right. can name five elephants. Yes, I can name five five, there's a lot of obvious reasons why this is happening to you. Yeah. Uh, and us owning that doesn't mean then the bad things don't happen. It just means God can move and redeem and mature us through the bad things. So I, I don't know how we're doing on, on time and, and flow and everything, but just thinking what, what's at stake if, uh, what's the, what do we have to live with if we don't, if we just say, you know what, I can't, I can't name the elephant, can't look at the elephant, can't do it. Um, what's the cost? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I think that. You know, one of there's, it's probably a, a lot that could be said to answer that question. And basically I think what I'm going to say and what my experience is, is whatever the cost is, it's higher than you think. Hmm. Like it's, it's right. It's, you think it's a good, it's a bargain. It's not. Yeah. And partly it's not just the avoidance of the bad. It's what good am I closing off? Am I quenching the spirit? by the spirit saying there's an elephant there. And I'm saying, no, then the fruit of the spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, things that come from perhaps working through hardship. Um, I'm closing that down too. So it's not just if the secret comes out, this bad thing will happen. I don't want the bad thing to happen. 
So if I keep the secret, that's a bargain. I think partly as we've talked about, the wound doesn't get healed or whatever, but partly is there's a lot of movement that God has for you that like the next couple growth rungs on the ladder, I might be waiting on this thing mm. because you're never going to get to the place where you can confront this because you haven't, you're stuck. You've stuck yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You have, you, you've, uh, in first for whatever reason, you've stopped the growth process. Yeah. You've stunted. You might be 50, but you're 13. Yeah. You might be, right. you know, 45, but you're 22 right. because somewhere along the way, God kept inviting you to these redemptive moves and you might have said, Nope. And I like that. It's always higher than you think. Yes. What's the it's, cost? It's a it's bad always, bargain to keep yeah. the secret, even though you think it isn't. Right. Um, and I think that's the, you know, the saying is some people have been a Christian for 30 years and some people have been a Christian for one year, 30 times in a row. Yeah. I think it's just because you never get the movement God's inviting to you. You keep declining it. And so you don't really, you, you gain more knowledge and, you know, you watch more sermons. Well, hold on, and, you got to say that again, because that's honest. That's that's gold. So say that again. Well, it's not it's not it's not my idea, but you know, some people are Christians for thirty years, and some people are Christians for one year, thirty times in a row. Like the outer circumstances change, but your spiritual self is not growing. It's the illusion of spiritual growth. I'll just keep learn some more things, and then I watch Matt Chandler, and I read this book, and all of that might be fine. Mm -hmm but you're not growing into Christ-likeness until you sort of confront some of your own brokenness and get that redeemed and apply the spirit to your own heart and so on and so on and so on. Uh, and I think part of that leads to, I avoid prayer. I avoid my own Bible study. I sort of find ways around it because I, if that brings me too close to this thing, I keep this invitation that, you know, and so it leads to a hardness or a dryness, I think, spiritually over time. Yeah. I have to harden myself to it uh, or I have to make it so intellectual and factual that it never really gets here. And that all, that's just, that's how to become a Pharisee, basically, mm -hmm. right? That's the formula yeah. for how to become a Pharisee. Yeah. I don't apply, apply it to my own, my own heart. Um, and so this whole thing, I mean, and, you know, secrets that we keep in our own family are probably some of the more intimate ones, family of origin, family we're in now. And unless I sort of think about them and at least admit them to myself, I'm probably stuck mm -hmm. spiritually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Stuck and, and going backwards. Yes. Right? There's, it's all drift unless we're intentionally swimming upstream. Yeah. And so that's the, you know, am I more like Christ now than I was 10 years ago? What does that question even mean? How do I evaluate that? And I think if the answer is, I'm not really sure, there's probably something I'm have been invited to do that I'm just not hmm. doing, not willing to do. Well, I think the bargain is better than it is and it's a bad bargain, uh, but we all, we all make that bargain, right? So I don't want people to hear that if they hear it, you know, the four people that are going to listen to this and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not our wives yeah. <laughs> they won't listen. hear that and say, well, I'm a bad person for declining the invitation to grow. We, I think that's part of the group. We all decline it for a while. Yeah. 
And then all of a sudden we might've discovered a new, Oh, God's invited me to grow. Well, you know, he's probably been inviting me for a long time and I've been finding ways around it. Uh, so this is hopefully just another invitation. Hopefully the series, this, this story of David and Beth is just another invitation to say, and this is, I think part of like, what secrets am I keeping or living with or complicit or, and then my own heart, my own, you know, my own family, my own, whatever, then I'm not willing even to admit to myself. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to call something out or, you know, confess every, you know, dark corner to every person. But if I can't admit it to myself, then I can't really get to a place where it's going to be redeemed. So that for me, the takeaway for me is what secret am I keeping in my own heart, my own life, my own whatever to myself, from myself even. And what would it look like to admit it? to God and to confess it to God. What would that look like? Yeah. So. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you have a takeaway? Yeah. Well, if you're still listening and you're a micro Chad junkie, like yes, the right. four of you, right. no shame, casting no shame. No shame. <laughs> uh, so takeaway is, you know, uh, for me, do I have one to two, people uh, somebody said it to me like this or questioned me years ago of the people you lie to who do you lie to the least and i thought it was a it was a, it was a yeah. great way to right. confront hey we're all playing games somehow yeah we're it's all... a total depravity viewpoint yes. i'm never 100 percent honest even with myself totally and so are there people in my life that i can trust enough to say hey um Nobody can handle the 10,000 pounds of you. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know if there's really right. ever a place where you're just like, here's the 10,000 right. pounds of me. Right. But the 6,000 yeah. pounds, the... 100 pounds at a time. Yeah, yeah. 80%. Yeah. I can share like, hey, yeah. I need I need to be known in this place to take away some of the power of the secrets. Mm -hmm. uh, I need to be com feel compassion from another human being. Uh, in this place mm -hmm. so that I don't have to carry this thing alone. So mm -hmm. do I have somebody uh, or can I pray? God, please yeah. show me. Right. Maybe I already have them. Right. Maybe they're there. Right. I haven't wanted to admit it. Like, right. show me. Yeah. And I think, so another one for me, it kind of goes with that is, do I require you to keep a secret as a kind of the cost of being in relationship with me? Mm -hmm. Like, it's understood. We're not going to talk about this thing about me, <laughs> right? Sure. And it's at a sort of, I'm, I'm sort of imposing this thing that, you know, that you might see it and I might see it, but I don't, we're not going to talk about it. Uh, and it might, am I imposing secret keeping on other people? And it's almost inevitable. We do it to some degree in our family mm -hmm. because there's, you know, we're broken and there's a bunch of things that we don't want to talk about. And, um, you know, I don't know what it looks like to not do that, but it's probably a healthy question to, is it okay for my daughter to say, nobody says, I don't know in this family, right. or am I going to say, am I going to communicate? That's not okay. You know, you can't give me that kind of feedback. You might believe it and be right, but don't say it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's another word. So call me out. don't call me out. So that's I'm producing an elephant that is going to sit, sit there. Mm -hmm. uh, and am I, am I doing that in other words, or am I just going, yeah, okay. Yeah. Probably I can own that a little bit. 
you know, probably might be true of me or, you know, maybe she's just totally too sensitive. <laughs> you, one of the two, I explain it away or I just own it a little bit and say, okay, that's okay. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Um, well, this is the first one, so we don't know how to end it. <laughs> yeah. How do you wrap up? Yeah. How podcast? do you end it? I don't know. Probably Jacob will put some nice music. Well, the podcasts I listen to, they're like, oh, and my next speaking tour and oh, my, right. my Anything book. Anything to plug? Yeah. yeah so any, any advertising? I'm here all week, literally every week. <laughs> I work here. So. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'll sign yep. your notebook. <laughs> all right. Signing off. And we're off. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.